I love the message of that song. I love singing it with all of you. I'm grateful that you've chosen to be here tonight. Um, Stephen uh, texted me and he said uh, that the song leader tonight was a little bit suspect. He didn't tell me it was going to be him. Uh, but he did a great job in leading us in those things as we worshiped our God together. I appreciate you made a choice tonight. You made the choice to be here. And uh, that's not a choice that I take lightly. It's not a choice that uh, the rest of the brethren here take lightly. That you've chosen to be here with God's people, studying from God's word. And so my prayer is that uh, God's word will not return void tonight. That we'll not be forgetful hearers, but we'll take the things from God's word and make application to our lives. Thank you for being here this evening. And if you have your Bible with you, would you take it out please and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. We spent some time in Galatians chapter 5 yesterday, but we'll be in Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 tonight. Um, and even if uh, you didn't bring a Bible with you, there, are there some in the pews? Um, if you will find one there in the pew somewhere, make your way to the, the back of the New Testament, the book of Galatians, the sixth chapter. The lesson tonight is almost uh, entirely going to come from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So you'll be ready to join in as we study this passage of Scripture together. I want to ask you, is Christianity a religion that is focused on the individual or the group? The individual or the group? Well, the easy answer to that, of course, is yes. It's a, it's a religion that's focused on both. And it's obvious that we can overemphasize one or the other, and there are some who have done that through the years. But clear Bible teaching is so balanced on this subject. And I think one of the best places that we can see the balance of a, of a biblical position when it comes to this idea of the individual and the group is Galatians chapter 6. So let's read together in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, that's us, right? That's y'all. That's all y'all. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Maybe your translation says meekness, this strength under control. You're spiritual, you have strength, uh, but you're not using that as an occasion to uh, browbeat your brother or sister. Instead, through love, you're seeking to restore them. Restore them in this spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted in this same way that this man or woman is being tempted, or in another way, you too have temptations that you need to consider in your own life. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. And maybe your translation says, rightly, burden. The same idea of what we saw earlier in verse 2. We bear one another's burdens, but we also bear our own load, our own burden. And then we go down to verse 6. Let him who is taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so we need to be sowing to spiritual things that we might be reaping spiritual things as well. 
Paul is not talking out of both sides of his mouth here. In describing the burden that we might have as Christians, he's describing the two sides of the same coin of work or burden or responsibility. So whose burden is it to bear? Well, Paul calls us several times to look inward in regard to the burdens or work or responsibility that we might have. He tells us to consider ourselves. Don't deceive yourself. Examine your own work. Bear your own load. He calls us to ask the question, what is my individual responsibility in regard to burdens? What can I or should I be doing? And I can rejoice, he says, in knowing that I did not make someone else do what was my responsibility. This is not the same attitude. Uh, We we need not confuse ourselves with that attitude of somebody who always refuses help. You know, you try and help them, you offer to help them, and it doesn't matter what it is, they're going to do it themselves. I don't want any help. But it is an attitude of commitment to do my part. And I'm not worried about you doing your part. That's not a you thing. This is looking inward, right? I'm going to do my part in regard to my service to Christ. I'm going to do my part in regard to my service to my brothers and sisters in a local church. And I'm not going to leave my brothers or sisters high and dry because I abandoned my responsibility and they're having to fill in where I could be working. And maybe sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, but, you know, okay, preacher, sure. But what can I really do? There's not much that I can do. Um, I'm quoting Harold Hancock again. Uh, Harold has always said, and I think rightfully so, I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how good a worker you are. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how knowledgeable you are. You can't do everything that you can do plus whatever it is I can do. Together, we can always do more. And it's not everybody else's responsibility to take care of me all the time. And we need to get beyond that in a society where it's always everybody else's fault. It is the responsibility of others to fix my mistakes. And too many are looking for a way out of what it is that they're supposed to do. I have a duty and you have a duty. We have a God-given role and responsibility, and I am supposed to do my part for the Lord. And this is not an individualistic mentality. It's a godly mentality that says, I have a role, I have a burden, I have a responsibility, and I'm going to do it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 speaks to this very thing. From whom? From Christ, the whole body, We think about the church, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Does that say most parts? Does that say the most important parts? Or does it say every part is supposed to do its share? For the body to truly grow as it's intended to Every part must do its share. God expects you to do your part, to bear your burden. But your part plays into us, the body, as a whole. 
And I take care of my business in large part because it helps everyone else and to help everyone else so that I'm able to help everyone else because I've taken care of my burden, my responsibility. So we're called to look inward in that way as Christians right here in Galatians chapter 6. But if we look carefully at the text, we're also called to look outward, aren't we? We're reminded that it is our burden as well, our responsibility to help others. And so Paul uses phrases like brethren, restore such a one, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, share in all good things. And so we are all called to ask a, a different question in this same text. What is our group responsibility in regard to our burdens? And so for the rest of our evening tonight, I want to focus on this second part. What is our responsibility in order to bear our burdens together? Our theme for this week is better together, and I believe that to be true. I believe that God, as the perfect designer, designed the church where we are better. We are more than the sum of our parts when we come together to work and worship as He's instructed us to do. Well... If that's true, if we're better together, we see here in Galatians chapter 6 some very specific ways that that is true. We're better together when, first of all, we all view one another as brethren. That's the way he starts in verse 1, right? He addresses them as his brethren. Maybe your translation says brothers and sisters. And the reason why a lot of translations do it that way is because this Greek word isn't just the masculine word for brothers, but it's that generic word for brothers and sisters. It's talking about our family. Uh, we know that blood is an unbreakable bond. Now, yes, it can be broken. You can have falling out where you're not with your family. You don't love them. They don't love you, that sort of thing. But whatever they do and however far they, they withdraw themselves, they're still my family. And if we took a DNA test, the match would be there. And our bond as Christians is by blood too. The blood of Jesus Christ unites us in a far stronger way than physical blood ever could. In chapter 4 of Galatians, for example, that whole chapter is about our brotherhood in Christ, how we're adopted into the family of God and we cry out to God as our Father. And we would do well tonight to go and look at that whole chapter. We're not going to do that this evening, but I would encourage you to go back and read chapter 4. We're all adopted into the same family. And that adoption is stronger or should be stronger than any blood relationship we might think of. But being brothers and sisters goes far beyond some feeling of camaraderie and goodwill that we might have with someone. Those of us who have physical siblings, raise your hand if you have a, a brother or sister in the flesh. Yeah, uh, we, we got a lot of kids here. Um, they're raising their hands too. Uh, you remember, right? You remember your siblings in the good times and in the bad times. And you know that there's not always that feeling of camaraderie between siblings, it's also a matter of not just how we feel, it's our closeness. It's our reliance upon one another. Who do you feel comfortable calling on when we need help? When you need help, who do you call on? Well, we call, many of us, on our family. Who comes to help whenever they're called? Our family comes. Um, so I've been emailing my, uh, my PowerPoints 
And uh, Stephen just sent me a reminder text this afternoon. He's like, hey, you know, just want to make sure you remember that you needed to send this and so forth. And I said, I always appreciate the reminder. You know, uh, you've had recurring nightmares about whatever your job is or going to school and those sorts of things. For a preacher, it's getting up here without your Bible and your notes. I mean, that's, that's scary, isn't it? I mean, you can borrow a Bible. Maybe you can remember most of the lesson, but that's scary. You're like, I, I, don't, I don't see that. Well, let me tell you how scary it is. There were a few years ago, I was supposed to go preach in the Dallas area on a uh, Wednesday night, part of a summer series. Uh, And so on the way is my parents' house. And so I stopped at their house. I had lunch with them. Uh, We we talked for a while. And then I'm driving on to Dallas. And they actually had to leave and go somewhere else as well. And so I drive to Dallas. And I'm going to stay at this hotel for the night. And so I check into the hotel. I go to get my bag out of my car. And I had left it at my parents' house. It had my Bible. It had my notes. It had the computer that had the notes on it, so it's not like I could ask Stephanie to email me the notes that I could print it off. And here I am, I've got about two hours until this is supposed to start, and I'm just empty-handed. So what do I do? My parents are gone. They can't go back to their house and get it. I've got an uncle. My name is Reagan Allen. He's the Allen. And so I call this uncle who lives about 15 miles from my parents. I call him up. And he's like, hey, Reagan, what's going on? I said, I need your help. And you know know what he said? He said, what can I do? And I told him the whole story. He had his grandkids over at his house. You grandparents know how big of a sacrifice this is. He had his grandkids at his house. He left them. He went and got that bag immediately, got in the car, drove to Dallas, and made it with about 30 minutes to spare. Now, why did I feel comfortable calling him? Because I knew how much he loved me. And I knew that he would do just about anything in his power to help me when I needed help. Do you feel that way with your brethren? Do you have that feeling of closeness? Not just of camaraderie, but reliance upon one another. I called him because he was family. And that's not true in every case with physical family. And in an audience like this, there are going to be people who have great relationship with their physical families and people who have terrible relationships with their physical families. There are probably even people who don't have much family from a physical standpoint. But every single Christian has a family. People who they love and and who love them and would do anything for them. It should always be true in the case of our spiritual families that we're willing to do whatever is in the best interest of those that we love. And when I call you brother or sister, that's not just something that we say. You are my family because we are all part of the family of God. It's because I love you and I'll do whatever is in my power to help you. And in that, I'm fulfilling, he says in verse 2, the law of Christ. I love my brethren as Christ loved us. And he said, by this, all are going to know that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for one another. And so it's my prayer that you have that love and that you view one another as brothers and sisters. But we have to know how to help one another, don't we? And so that's the second thing that we see in Galatians chapter 6, brethren. If any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
Well, we've got to be aware that someone is overtaken in a trespass, right? How do we know? How do we know if someone is caught in a trespass? Because we are aware of what's going on in their lives. We've made an investment in the relationship. I don't know if this is caught on in Arkansas like it has back home in Texas, um, especially those with teenagers. Uh, who knows about the Life 360 app? Uh, Life 360, right? Um, you know, the Life 360 app, for those of you who don't know, it's something you install on your smartphone and, and parents know and can track where you are and what you're doing, those sorts of things. They can even track, this one would have gotten me in a ton of trouble when I was a teenager, they can track how fast you were going on the trip, wherever you were, wherever you were going. You know, I, my kids aren't quite to that age yet. They don't have smartphones. And I thought, you know, how would, I, how would I feel about that? I would have hated that as a kid. But as a parent, all of a sudden, you know what? Maybe that's, maybe that's a good idea, right? Because you care. Because you've made an investment in them with your very life. And there is nothing that you wouldn't do for them. So yeah, you want to know what's going on. You want to know what's going on in their life. Well, you've made an investment with these people who are sitting around you. And this is not a call for us to be busy bodies in other people's matters. That's explicitly condemned in the New Testament. But it is a call for us to invest. To be invested in other people because you love them. It's a call. It's a call for us to care about others. And in order to do that, it's going to require some things for us. We're going to have to have them over to our home, maybe write a note or make a phone call or go to their kids' ball games. And this is not some sort of manipulation that you're involved in. It's because you really do care. And maybe sometimes what it takes is having that awkward conversation where you just ask. You just ask them what's going on. Ask them about their struggles. A few years ago, I drove home and, and I felt horrible. I, I, uh, I'd been struggling with something for, for a number of days. And it was about calling a, a brother in Christ. And so I pulled into the driveway and I just sat in the driveway for about 15 minutes with, with the phone in my hand because I just, I just knew. I knew something had to be going on with this brother. And so finally I dialed and he answered and we made small talk for a little bit and I called him by name and I said, is everything all right? And the floodgates opened. And something that he had been struggling with, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew he wasn't himself. And what he had been struggling with came flowing out. And it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship between us. He was my brother before, but now we are closer in a way that we could not have been otherwise. We have lunch uh, every few weeks and we get together and we talk about this particular sin and others that we struggle with. We are there for one another to support one another and to bear one another's burdens. And that all began with a simple question. Are you all right? And is there anything that I can do? Sometimes in order to be aware, we just have to ask and we have to get the courage to really ask and the courage to really answer. It's interesting that the specific command here in Galatians chapter 6 is not for the one caught in a trespass to come and seek help. Now don't misunderstand me, they should, but that's not the command in Galatians chapter 6. The command in Galatians chapter 6 is for you who are spiritual to seek out that one. 
and do what you can to restore them, to bring them back in a spirit of meekness. That means that you have to be aware that they are caught in a trespass and you want to snatch them from the fire and bring them back to the truth. So Galatians says we need to view one another as brethren. We need to be aware of other struggles. And if we do that, we're going to be better together. But the main point of the sermon tonight and the main point in Galatians chapter 6 is that we are supposed to bear one another's burdens. He says there in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now that word burden there is a specific word. And it applies that it's something that we cannot carry on our own, at least not for very long. It's something that maybe we can carry with great difficulty, but it becomes harder and harder for us to carry the longer that we do. It's the idea of a a heavy weight or a stone, perhaps, that must be carried for some distance. You know, what I always think about, uh, I remember back in the day when I was a a teenager on ESPN late at night, they always had the strongest man competitions, you know, and they'd get these giant stones and they'd have to put them up on this column. That's kind of what I always have in my mind, kind of like the picture that we put up there. And so when we think about that, this is a burden that somebody, yeah, they can carry, but it's difficult. This isn't a a momentary thing. It's not something that happens and then it's over. It's an ongoing thing. And I think that's important because in the short term, we can carry almost any load, right? It's when we have to carry that load for a long time that it becomes difficult. I told you yesterday I grew up in West Texas near Lubbock. Uh, near is a relative term in West Texas. I was about 60 miles from Lubbock, but that was the nearest big town. And if you wanted to go to Walmart, uh, a chain restaurant, a movie theater, you had to drive 60 miles to, to Lubbock. And so my family, we had this big deep freezer just outside in the garage. And uh, we would go to Lubbock once a month. We'd go to Sam's Club and we would just load up on stuff and, and bring it home. Sam's Club, Walmart, bring it home. And I remember as a kid, every grocery trip was a big trip. And the back of the vehicle is going to be just loaded down with stuff. And I played this game. Did you do the same thing? See how many bags you can carry, you know? Like, like you know, the circulation is just gone in your fingers. You're like, ah, I got it, I got it. I mean, you're trying to open the door with your foot. Um, well, I would do that from the car to the kitchen. But do you think I would make a different choice about how much I could carry if they said, okay, you've got to carry it from Lubbock and walk home 60 miles. I could carry a big burden for a little while. But if i got to carry it for very long, I'm going to need some help. And no matter how strong you are physically, no matter how strong you are spiritually, that's the truth, isn't it? The longer we carry a burden alone, the more likely it is that we're going to collapse under the weight of it. And so my admonition is just let others help. Let your brethren help. And the great thing is it's not just one or two helping, it's many. It is those who are here. And God's plan is not for me to dump all of my burdens on one other person so that they'll be overloaded instead of me. You know, here, this rock is too heavy for me. Why don't you take it? That's not the idea. The idea is that we come together to be able to bear the burden together. We are spreading out our burdens among many. 
Uh, my girls are taking piano lessons right now, and my grandmother very graciously a few years ago gave us a piano for the girls, and she lives in Lubbock. We live in East Texas now, about eight hours or so away, and so, so we were out there, and she was giving us this piano, and I had a little trailer uh, that I was going to take it home in, and it was just my dad and I who were loading this piano, and let me tell you, that was a beautiful wonderful, heavy gift. And so we, we somehow were able to get this piano um, onto the trailer. And so uh, what did I do on the way home? I started making phone calls. And I got six of the biggest guys in the congregation to wait on us when we got home. And many hands made for light work. Yeah, it's something we could do, just the two of us. But with six of us, it was nothing. It was easy. We were able to do it together. So what kind of burdens are we talking about here? Well, certainly spiritual burdens, sin and temptation. Have a group of people to help. Have someone or some ones to whom you can confess. And they pray for you and, and they confess and you pray for them. You pray together. Someone who can keep you accountable and encouraged. Certainly the burden of spiritual work. And maybe we're, we're hesitant to call that, but many good things are work, right? Every part, as we read a moment ago, should be doing its share. So where are you working in a local congregation? If I were to ask you, what is your role in the local church of which you're a part? Would you be able to tell me what that, what that role is? Um, well, let me give you a tip. If you say, no, I don't know. What is my role? Let me give you a tip. Uh, there's some people to talk to, right? Talk to the preacher and ask him, hey man, what, what can I do to help? Talk to the preacher's wife and ask her, hey, what, what can I do to help? And maybe it's something as simple as being one of the people who takes visitors' cards to visitors at services and has a conversation with them. You know, you know how stressful that is for me as a preacher? I see this person over there. I want to go meet them, but I'm talking to, to somebody else over here, and, and I want to be engaged in this conversation. And that horrible feeling when somebody makes it out of the building and, and very few people talk to them, and we don't have any record of why they were there. Um, again, this is not manipulation. What this is is genuinely caring, caring about my brethren, caring about the lost. That's an important work. It's an important job. That's one of a hundred things that you could be doing in a local congregation. Uh, talk to the elders about this. Go to them and say, I want to help. What is it that I can do? And then when they tell you the thing that they think you can do, say, well, I don't really want to do that. Instead, say, of course, whatever it is, I'm willing to do. And physical burdens and physical works applies to this too. If I need help, my family is here to help me, whether it's moving a piano or going through a difficult time. And it's not just that I'm willing to bear your burden, but I'm willing to let you bear my burden too. Bearing one another's burdens is a two-way street, isn't it? Bear others and let others bear, bear yours. And for many of us, I think it is much harder to ask for that help than it is to give that help. I'm willing to drop everything and come at a moment's notice to help my brother or sister, but I feel like I'm putting them out if I ask them to come and help me. And maybe part of the problem is that we think that there are just two camps in that. We think that there are people out there who are givers, and we think there are people out there who are takers, 
And if I had my choice between the two, I would absolutely want to be a giver, not a taker. But may I suggest that that is not exactly the biblical model. We will all have seasons in our life where we can give more, where we're able to give more. For example, if you're somebody and your kids have left home, but you're still in good health and your parents are still in good health and you've got money to spare, I mean, what an opportunity. You got a window right there to do some amazing work for the Lord and for others. But on the other hand, if you're in a season of your life where you're a young family and you're struggling and you're just trying to get by, be willing to accept some help. And it doesn't make you less spiritual to ask for help. It doesn't make you a failure. When we had our our firstborn, Madison, um, she's 11 now. And for about the first two years of her life, she didn't sleep. She slept. I mean, all babies sleep. But she slept about about four hours a night. And and we went to the pediatrician and we're like, you know, help us. You know, what's going on here? And the pediatrician's answer was, well, some kids just don't need as much sleep. And we're like, well, is there a return policy or how does this work? Um, And there were some folks, Joe and Sandy Penn. I don't know if you know the Penns, but... Joe and Sandy Penn lived just down the road from us. In fact, we rented from them when we first moved to Lufkin. And they saw we were struggling, man. And they reached out. And they didn't just adopt Maddie, they adopted us. My parents were eight and a half hours away at the time. Stephanie's parents were 11 hours away. We were there without family in Lufkin, but we weren't. Because we had family. And Joe and Sandy Penn insisted every Sunday night we were coming to their house, we were going to eat there, they were going to watch the kids for a little while while we just decompressed. And sometimes they would just show up at our house on an afternoon and say, hey, we're watching Maddie, why don't y'all go do something? And that's something that we really wanted to do was go to bed and sleep, but, but it was an opportunity for us to go and do something. And I, I will never, I will never be able to repay them for that. If I live to be 100 and so do they, I will never be able to repay them for that. And you say, is it really that big of a deal, fixing one meal a week, watching somebody's kid? Maybe not, but it was to us because they helped us to bear a burden that we were not bearing very well alone. But even that still falls into the giver and taker paradigm, doesn't it? I mean, they were the givers and we were the takers in that scenario. But Paul's teaching is not, just let everybody else do it for you, and that could lead to laziness or selfishness or entitlement. Nor is Paul's teaching in this passage, you just do it for everybody else, even those who could be doing more for themselves, which could lead to burnout and resentment and self-righteousness for those who are doing for others. Instead, we should be looking for ways to make bearing burdens mutually beneficial, if possible. Let me give you a physical example of this. Uh, There's another family that has kids almost exactly as the age of ours. Uh, They have more kids than us, but they're very similar in age. And so a couple of years ago, Um, I drop the kids off. I pick the kids up. That's something that I've done for many years. It's a a really cool time with just me and the girls. And so a couple of years ago, um, this family and us, we started carpooling. Uh, Just in the afternoons, just with pickup. 
And so every other week, I would pick up Megan's kids and my kids, and, and the other week, Megan would pick up my kids and her kids. Now, you think about that. On those weeks where I'm picking up, it really doesn't add that much to my burden, does it? I mean, five minutes out of the way, I'm having to go to these same schools anyway. It doesn't add very much to my burden to take her kids home along with mine. But on those weeks where she's picking up, and I'm not, I mean, the burden is significantly lifted, right? Isn't that what we should be looking for? Now, either one of us would be willing, and we have, to call the other one and say, hey, I've got something going on. Can you pick up all the kids? And, and each of us have jumped at that opportunity to do that. And it's because of that that the burden is lifted for both of us. Um, and that's the model. The model is something that is mutually beneficial in bearing our burdens. And I think that's reflected in the last two points tonight. I want you to turn back to Galatians 6 and verse 6. He goes through, hey, you need to bear your own burden, that section. And in verse 6, he says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. We are to teach and be taught. The word, the word share here is that word that, that we normally translate fellowship, koinonia. We have fellowship with one another as we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we are looking to grow in the faith, when we are sharing in all good things, both with him who is taught and him who is being taught, uh, who is doing the teaching, I should say. This means that we have to be interested in teaching, in being someone who teaches. And this means that we are interested in being taught as well. And if either one of those things is missing, we're going to miss out on something really important and really precious. Keeping your spot in Galatians 6, turn to Titus chapter 2. If you would, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Notice, uh, let's just read verses 3 and 4. 3 through 5. The older women, raise your hand if you're, no, don't do that. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, obviously, he's speaking specifically to women, but doesn't that apply to men as well? So I have a, a homework assignment for you, especially for those who are members here, but wherever you might worship regularly, I want you to think about this. Um, if you have a directory, and I know that you do, if you have a directory, I want you to go and look through that directory, and I want you to find someone younger than you who you can teach, who you can help. Um, and if you're able to pay attention to this lesson, that means that there's probably somebody younger than you that you can do that with, that you can establish that relationship with in order to reach out to them to see if there is something that you can do for them. And the word in verse 4 is really that idea of training, that they're training them in these things. This isn't bossing somebody around. It's showing them. It's demonstrating something to them. 
It's becoming an active part in the life of someone younger than you. And because you're an active part in their life, because they know that you're there and they know that you care, then they're going to be willing to accept teaching that comes from you as well. And obviously that's not confined to women. We should all desire to learn. And we should be excited with what others want to teach us also. So we are all, te- we are all taught and we should all be teachers. And then finally, the last thing there in verse uh, uh, 5 and 6 of Galatians chapter 6. Um, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. God is not, be not deceit, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We share, and we share in our blessings as well. As one who teaches, um, that's what I do for, a, for an occupation, right? Uh, I preach the gospel. I benefit from this passage in a very literal way because that's probably what Paul is talking about with the Galatian brethren, that you need to be willing to support those who devote their life to teaching. Um, the brethren where, uh, where I teach and preach regularly share with me and support me in my work. Um, you do that even this week. But there's a broader application to all of us as a church family. We are there for one another when there is a need, but we are also there for one another in terms of our blessings. Uh, A few uh, months ago now, um, there was a young man who's gone off to college who was a part of our congregation. His parents and his younger sister are still there worshiping with us. Uh, This is a sweet, good young man. Uh, He's going off on a baseball scholarship. He's playing baseball in Central Texas. And while he was there, he got this Bible study started up with some guys on the team, some others in the athletic program. And so they've got this Bible study started, and there were about 10 people who came to this Bible study that he was was hosting. Um, And he realized pretty quickly that there were some people coming to the study who had had very little exposure to Christianity, and they didn't even have their own Bibles. And so he calls his parents and says, hey, is there any way that we can get some Bibles so that these people can can have a Bible to read? And so his parents call me and say, hey, Reagan, you know, like, uh, what Bible would you recommend for somebody like this who's had no exposure to Christianity? And uh, I call another lady in the congregation who had just bought a Bible for a visitor who didn't have a Bible of their own. I said, hey, do you think you could get some more Bibles like that? Um, and I asked her, I said, about how much did those Bibles cost? And he said, well, I got a nice one for this guy. And it, it, all told, she like put tabs in it and got, got this person's name inscribed on it. And I said, how awesome would it be if we could do that for these young people coming to this Bible study? She said, well, it costs about 50 bucks. I said, 50 bucks a Bible. I'm like, fine, great. You know, we'll pitch in, we'll make it happen. And so I went to our Facebook page. We have a private Facebook page for our congregation. And I just said, hey, here's what's going on. It's about 50 bucks a Bible. And we're looking to put 10 Bibles together like this. Um, And in about, about 25 minutes, all the need was taken care of. And we had a waiting list of other people who wanted to buy Bibles. Now, Uh, Ashton is the young man's name. He didn't have the money to buy those Bibles himself, but his parents could have. They could have borne that burden. No problem. They called me, and together, the two of us, we could have borne that burden. That's something that we could have done financially. And then I called one other, and the three of us certainly could. 
But by sharing it together, it's not just that we split the money up that many ways instead of just three ways. It's that everybody got to share in the blessing of that. And what's great about it is when you share in bearing burdens, a lot of times the way you share it is better than what you would have done yourself. Somebody had the great idea. You know what we could do? We could write notes to these young people who are coming to these studies and we could give them our information. We could give them the church website. We could give them our personal number and say, this Bible is from so-and-so. We're praying for you on your spiritual journey and, and call us if you have any further questions about the things that you study. I mean, how great of an idea is that, right? And everyone was encouraged. Everyone was blessed because we shared in the burden. It's not just sharing in burden. It's sharing in blessing when we do this with one another. In this case, you know what we could have done? We could have just, I mean, it's buying Bibles for the spreading of the gospel. We could have just used money out of the treasury to pay for that. We could have done that. But how greater of a blessing was it that we got to share in this good thing? And the need wasn't just fulfilled, it was fulfilled in a better way because it was shared with everyone. And it's not just financial things where we share in our blessings. It's also that we share in the good things of life with one another. As Christians, we are commanded to weep with those who weep. And I think we usually do a pretty good job with that. But we are also commanded to rejoice with those who rejoice, to share in all good things with one another, to feel the joy that can only come from a shared experience with those we truly love and who truly love us. Sharing in that experience is powerful and wonderful. And it's something that families do. That's what you are. You're a family. And family is there for one another. Family bears each other's burdens. So, let's answer our question from the beginning. Is Christianity a religion focused on the individual or the group? Well, I must commit to Christ as an individual. It is my choice and no one else's to make. And my grandparents can't make it for me and they didn't. My parents can't make it for me. No elder, no preacher can make that commitment for me. That is between me and Jesus Christ. And when I stand before God in judgment, I'll be standing there for the things that I have done in the body. But when I make that commitment, I get to enjoy the benefits of not ever being alone again. Because Christ is with me. But so too are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have, praise God, I have a spiritual family who loves me, who cares for me, who helps me, and who bears my burdens. If you hear that tonight, I think I can speak on behalf of this group. Um, Richard said uh, he was going to make announcements here in a second so he can clean up anything that I say that isn't what I'm supposed to be saying. Uh, I, I think I speak on behalf of this group when I say that they desire to serve. They desire to bear burdens and that they're striving to be a spiritual family. And the things that they offer 
as a local congregation maybe, maybe seems small in comparison to other congregations. Uh, there was a congregation where I preached one time uh, for a while, for a number of years, and there was another uh, group, another religious group down the road, and the kids at school, I was teaching some school at the time, the kids at school called that other church Six Flags Over Jesus because of how much they offered. You know what? I, we, we couldn't compete with that. You know what we could offer? We could offer the pure, unadulterated truth in Jesus Christ as, as we understand it. We could offer people who are committed to that truth and who are committed to one another as family. And if you hear that tonight and you're not yet a Christian, what Christ offers you is a spiritual family of believers who are there for you to care for you in any way that they can. And if you know what it is you need to do in order to become a Christian, won't you come and put Christ on in baptism and rise to walk in newness of life? And if you're already a Christian and you realize there is a burden that you need to share with your brothers and sisters, we will pray for you, we'll pray with you. I'll do anything I can to help you, and I know these brethren will too. All you have to do is come now. While together we stand and while we sing.